gonna climb a mountain I'm gonna shout about it I am a child of love I found a world of freedom I found a friend Jesus I am a child of love Oh, thank you, Jesus, that we're a child of the King, amen Isn't it great to wake up in the morning and know that you're coming to worship with other like believers and we can lift up the name of Jesus corporately together in one accord, giving praise to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Where would you be this morning if it wasn't for my Savior? Where would you be this morning if it wasn't for the blood of the Lamb that shed, was shed and paid the price for you that you couldn't pay? You wouldn't be here this morning. I know I wouldn't. I've been more by your presence It's this one thing I won't forget I'm mercy man dirty day my life was spent I've been held by those nailed hands Through the lowest of nights Now I walk in the light I'll testify If God still provides Tell the truth If he's been good to you And raise a shout If he brought you out Everything with bread Sing praises There was never a moment when you left me alone. And there's no place I'll be going where I'll be left on my own. Now I'm alive to tell the story how this love is overcome and all the
was blind. Oh, but now I see. I sing glory, glory. Hallelujah. He's alive. And he lives in me. Of your word, and everyone is healed. 
the battle, Lord, to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. You take what the enemy meant for evil. Amen. And you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Oh, you take what the enemy. You take what the enemy meant for evil. And you turn it for good. Yes, you turn it for good. Oh, you take what the enemy, you take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. Oh, you turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. Oh, you turn it for good. to you it belongs to you it's not for me you have already won the war you have already won you're moving in this place you're moving all over this land it doesn't matter what our eyes see we know in whom we believe and we know what your word says that you're moving that you're pouring out your spirit among all flesh still being moved strongholds are still being loosed God we believe and yes we can see it that wonders are still what you do oh bodies bodies are still being Amen. oh giants giants are still being slain Oh God, we believe it. Yes, we can see it. Wonders are still what you do. You're for you. Come and do what you do. We are here for you. Come and do what you do. Set our hearts on you 
mountains are still being moved. Strongholds are still being loose. God, we believe. Yes, we can see it. That wonders are still what you do. Bodies. Bodies are still being This is a move. 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 This is a move.
is a move. This 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 is a move. Right here, right now. This is a move. This is a move. This is a move. This is This is a move. This is This is a move. 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 This Worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. All honor, all praise, all glory belongs to you. It all belongs to you. It all belongs to you. This is Thank you, Jesus. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, we always thank God, the Father, our Lord, and Jesus Christ. It says in Philippians 1, Paul says his thanksgiving prayer. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In the original language, it, it means literally that he has a thanksgiving party. He has so much thanks in his spirit, so much thanks in, in his spirit and rejoicing. And it's because of this. Because he who began a good work in you will carry it on in completion until the day of Jesus Christ. That he who began a good work in you, that God in his spirit began a work in each one of us. He began a work in you and he's going to complete it. We're getting ready to take communion. And this time, this time is a very, it's a very, it's a very personable and awesome time as we think back on what Jesus did as we're approaching Easter as we're approaching Resurrection Sunday this is what it's all about Paul said if Christ be not resurrected if Christ is not resurrected our faith is futile everything is built upon the foundation that Christ rose from the grave and bridged the gap so that we can have fellowship with God and so that's what we think back today that we, we give thanks that the Spirit began the work inside of us that the Spirit began the work and He's working amongst the church He's working in people's lives and this morning as we reflect and we do we take communion we remember Jesus said do this in remembrance of me in remembrance that His hands were pierced for our transgressions in remembrance that every lash He took he took upon the wound. He took upon the sin. He took upon the sin of the world that we could walk in freedom, glory. That we can walk in redemption. That we could worship God and be friends of God. Be friends of God. Let's sing that chorus one more time in worship as, as the ushers pass out the element. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord.
we need a move. We need a healing. We need a touch. Thank you, Lord. We need a move. Life Church, we practice open communion. That means the only requirement, if even if you're a visitor, is that you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, that you've accepted him as the Lord and Savior, and then you can participate in communion with us here at Life Church. But this morning, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you, given. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul said, I thank God because of the work that he did. I'm convinced that one of the greatest works of salvation, one of the greatest fruits is thanksgiving, thankfulness. Because you begin to see life in a whole different way. You begin to notice things that you never noticed before. All of a sudden, the trees are brighter. All of a sudden, the flowers are prettier. All of a sudden, you, all of a sudden you notice things. One of, the, one of the most amazing fruits of salvation is thanksgiving. And so that's what communion this morning, we look back and we thank God. Thank you, Jesus, for salvation. As we remember what Jesus did, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's get ready to take the bread together. And we're just going to take a moment and we're going to reflect that we do this with pure hearts and pure motives. Jesus, bring about transformation in our hearts. Bring about transformation in our hearts as we remember Jesus, we remember the price. We remember what you've paid. God, we want this to be a meaningful time. Lord, this is not just something we do and we're just going to blow through as a means and preliminary to service, but oh God, we remember. Jesus, we remember and we're grateful. We remember and we're thankful because he who began a good work in me is going to bring it to the day of completion. Thank you, Lord. Forgive us, God. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup in the new covenant is my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's the blood that washes. It's the blood. By no other name can men be saved. It's the blood. Father, thank you for the blood. Jesus, thank you that you shed your blood and you covered the sin. You covered my sin. You covered my sin and redeemed me in order that I can walk in friendship and relationship with God. God, purify my heart that there's no unclean motives. There's no, there's no, there's no unclean motives and priorities. In Jesus' name, let's take the cup together. This morning, as the ushers are picking up the cups, we're going to transition into a time of prayer. 
At Life Church, it's one of our core values. It's one of the core identities that we have, have strived to become as a church that prays. And in a moment, we're going to have a testimony about the children's ministry and what they prayed and God answered. But this morning, we're going to pray together that God would restore families. That God would restore families and bring about change in homes that are broken. And we're seeing that all through the church. We're also going to begin to pray that God would bring in lost souls. That people would be drawn by His Spirit to to the church that that could be a place of refuge and thirdly lastly we're going to pray that God would bring about revival in his church that that people would be awakened that the church would be awakened that the church would be transformed are you ready to pray church come on let's pray together God we come before you and we pray in the name of Jesus we pray for families to be restored oh God we pray for families Lord there are broken homes God there are homes that are in discord there are homes that are tragically God this just broken children are away from God prodigals call the prodigals home right now in Jesus name maybe some of you have sons and daughters that are far from God pray their name out on the altar in Jesus name God we pray for prodigals to come home God we pray that testimonies would come in the name of Jesus that families would be restored the family unit one man and one wife one man and one woman Lord we pray that in the name of Jesus you would restore the family unit we pray that in the name of Jesus, you would restore families. You would bring about change in homes. That holidays would be no longer a feared time, but it'd be a, such a great time, a place of thanksgiving. Lord, we pray that in the name of Jesus, lost souls, Lord, you would awaken people. God, as they hear the gospel, their soul would be regenerated. Their mind would be transformed. God, you would awaken their soul. We pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, you draw people. Give us new ideas to reach the lost. Give us new ideas to reach those who are broken, who are far from you. Let the church be the hands and feet of Jesus. Let us go outside of the four walls in the name of Jesus and fill us with the Holy Ghost. Fill us with power so that signs, miracles, and wonders will follow. God, we pray that you would bring about a revival to this nation that will change the moral state, Lord. We pray that, that the church would repent. We pray that the church would be awakened. We pray that the church would be transformed. We pray that, that your magnificent glory would be lifted up, oh God. That the church would be changed. That the church would be awakened, oh God. We pray for your power, your glory, and your might in the mighty name of Jesus. If you agree with that, say amen, 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 amen. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, worship team. Guys, you can be seated. Real quick, I'm going to tell you a testimony, and we're going to show you a video. I said a moment ago that prayer is one of our core values here at Live Church, and we pray in adult service, in the children's ministry, they pray as well. And last week, the children's ministry was praying, your children... Your children were praying upstairs, and one of the prayers, they were praying for missionaries, and one of the kids said, Lord, we pray that you meet every single need. And there's a particular video we're going to show you about a missions group that they... They were at a place where they needed a miracle. They needed financial... They needed a financial miracle, and the Lord answered the prayer of this little child. Are you ready? All right. Turn your attention to the screen. Roll that beautiful bean footage. This is Alexis. Um, I just wanted to say, hey, I love and miss you all so much. 
And I wanted to say thank you for praying for me and for CCI. Um, we're out here. This is Nome, Alaska. We've already been to Anchorage, and we're going to a few more cities and villages on this trip. But um, I just wanted to give you an update. So I heard that y'all prayed. And I heard that someone even prayed that um, CCI would receive some money to help us continue our traveling. And not only did we receive a random um, check in the mail, but we've had people give us Walmart gift cards and um, churches take up offerings for us. And God has just been meeting our needs the whole time we've been out here. And we've been so, so blessed. So I just wanted to let you know, God not only hears your prayers, but he answers them. And um, I'm just so thankful for y'all. I love you all so, so much. Um, right now, the Iditarod, which is a dog sled race, is actually coming in on this. I'm on the sea right now. I'm on the Bering Sea. And they're coming in in just a little while. Um, so maybe I'll send Miss Tracy some pictures and she can show y'all. But anyway, I love you. I miss y'all so much. And thank you again for praying. See y'all soon. Bye. Amen. I just thought it was awesome. Um, Mr. Tracy, she sent me a message and told me, she said uh, last week they were praying, and they just said, let's pray for our missionaries. They have a safe trip, you know, and all the normal praying stuff. And one of the children, they were going around the room, and one of the children said, and Lord, just give them all the money they need to cover the cost for the trip and everything else. And so while they're up in Nome, Alaska, and then traveling to other places, they're getting calls that money is showing up in New Orleans. Uh, anonymous givers giving, things are coming in. Uh, they said it was just out of the blue. And I said, that's not out of the blue. That's an answer to prayer of kids that were praying. So if you got a need, go get some kids. <laughs> and pray, let them pray for you, man. I mean... I mean, because God hears the, ch the prayers of those children. Um, it's awesome. Well, I want to bring to you, a, before I go, right, before I stop, you. Yes. Come here for a minute. I'm not here to embarrass you. Who's with you? Where's your Is there family? Come on. 
have to be obedient to the Lord. Is that okay? Those of you who know me, I'm, I'm very sensitive to not stepping out where it's not God. During the worship time, I sat down, and, or, or standing there, and then I sat down, and I started scanning back around the room. I usually like to sit over there, but Tiger's got my seat, because <laughs> I like to be able to see. I learned a long time ago as a young minister from a, a man in the Lord, a prominent man in, in the things of God. He said, don't close your eyes when you pray. Keep them open. God will show you things. And so anyway, I just looked kind of scanned this way, and I saw you, and I scanned back, and I came back to you, and God gave me a word, one word, with a picture. Now, I, those of you who have been here for a while, you know God, the Lord shows me things in pictures. And I've, I've always said it's because I'm too stupid to understand. He has to draw me something uh, to understand it because then he gives me understanding. And, and what I'm going to tell you, you've probably never seen in your life. But I remember this as a little boy in first and second grade. I lived in New Hampshire. I'm from the Northeast. I was born in Boston. And I lived several years of my childhood, even though I moved like 20 times before I graduated, um, in the Northeast. And I remember going to school, and we had a late snow, late, late snow. And the daffodils had already started blooming. They had come up, and they had started to open, and then a late snow came. And I thought as a child that the snow would kill all the plants. But those daffodils came up and still opened and bloomed. Now within a day or two, the snow had melted off and was turned to slush and, and that water went into the ground. But the daffodils were still blooming. Now picture, you have to imagine the green and the yellow of the daffodil against the contrast of white snow. It's, it's just a picture that's embedded in my mind even all these years later. And when I looked your way, the Lord spoke a word he said, tell her the word was hardy. And that's probably hardy. It's probably not a word you're thinking. Uh, but he says, you have an inner strength that you don't know. And that you can, that strength will help you weather the storm. In fact, he said, the snow that I saw was like you were all of a sudden blooming and growing and God was doing something but the enemy of late has tried to put stuff on you to snuff that life out he said but I saw you bloom anyway and the Lord said there's, an, there's a hardiness inside of her that I've put there and she needs to know that that which I've started I'm going to finish if she'll come after me with all her heart What the enemy meant for evil, God turns for good. And he has a purpose for you beyond anything that you can imagine. And the Lord loves you enough, he wants you to know that. Not here to embarrass you. You know that. Would you stretch your hands out towards her right now? Father, in Jesus' name. This hardiness that's inside of her, this strength, is of you. 
for the purpose and plan that you have decreed over her shall come to pass. For that which you have begun, you are able to bring to perfect completion. God, let her heart be after you even more. The harder the enemy fights against her, the more of a sign it is that, God, you have something great for her. Let her be strong in this hour and in the days to come. And her friends who have, I don't know why I'm saying this, who have looked the other way will be drawn back to her and ask, what is it that you have? I want it too. And she'll be able to have great impact for the kingdom of God. Thank you, Father, for your love and your compassion. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This message is, is uh, just simply unload and prepare for revival. And um, I've told this story several years ago, but um, it, it, the story came back to mind this morning. The first time that my wife, Amanda, had to take our, my son Bobby for a haircut. Now, I took him for his first haircut. My wife, I insisted, finally, my wife didn't want to cut his hair, and it was long and curly, and everybody, finally, when they, people started going, to his, how old is your little girl? I said, it's time for a haircut. <laughs> and I remember I took him, and I had to sit him in my lap, you know, with the barber cutting his hair and everything. But this was the, the, the next cut, and it was Amanda's turn to take him, because I was working, and we had opened a restaurant, and... And I couldn't get away, and so she took him. This was her experience. And um, when they arrived, it was a regular barber shop. It's not a salon like they have today and that kind of stuff. And so they went and found two seats on the end of, of a row of seats. And my, if he, my son was not one to sit. Um, he was hyper beyond hyper. I mean, that's just the way he was. Uh, and... Um, so my wife was sitting down, and without warning, he had got up from his seat, and it was like a few chairs, and he, he got up and decided to show his mother how strong he was. And he picked up the chairs, and she's leaning like this, and all the men are looking at the, this little boy, and he's picked up the chairs, and she's going, put me down, put me down, put me down. And the more she said, put me down, the more he was intending he was going to hold her up. And needless to say, Amanda was greatly embarrassed in front of those people, and my son, when he got home, he later learned how inappropriate that behavior was once Dad learned about it, you know. And uh, But he, he always wanted, uh, from that moment on, it was like he was set out to prove how strong he was. Like he, he would try and carry, and this is before plastic grocery bags, when they used to actually put your groceries in paper bags. And um, he would try and carry more grocery bags than anybody else, or more two-by-fours than anybody else. And it's funny how when he got older that kind of changed, you know. <laughs> but, um, but every parent or grandparent probably has... 
uh, a memory of toddlers struggling to do the impossible that um, uh, around fam you know around adults, whether it's move furniture. Um, carry the grocery bags, overstuffed suitcases when you're going to grandma's house. You know, they're bringing them to the car and they try and you go to get it and they go, I can do it. No, you can't. Yes, I can. You know, that kind of thing. And, it, and it's obvious that little children, like they can't, can't carry those kinds of loads by themselves. And no matter how hard they grunt or groan or contort their face, the item's too big for them to move. And the truth is the same for toddlers and adults. And that is there are just some things too big to carry alone. Now you say, what does that have to do with revival? Well, I was, I've been reflecting that all this past week uh, on, on the recent events of revival across the nation and around the world because it is happening around the world. But my thoughts have gone back to a quote that I told you a few weeks back of one of the professors at Asbury University when this three-week outbreak of God took place on campus, and he was interviewed, and he said this. He said, he said, we were surprised, but not unprepared. And that's a powerful statement. He said, we were surprised. In, in other words, surprised at the moment, at surprised when it took place, like, but not unprepared. So it wasn't like it was unexpected. They had expectation, but they were surprised still when it happens, okay? I mean, how many of you have had a birthday or something like that, and somebody surprises you by doing something on your birthday, and yet you know it's your birthday, and, and it's not unheard of for somebody to do it, and yet you're still surprised by it, right? And... Um, so uh, I, I, that, that statement says, we were surprised, but not unprepared. That's six words, but it has a powerful statement. And, and the thing that happened at Asbury, and I'm not just pointing to that, but it's, it's something that we all saw in the news and, and it's readily in our mind, was it, it happened at the end of a scheduled chapel service. It wasn't like they had a guest speaker in. They had chapel three times a week. The students were basically required to come to chapel. Um, and so at the end of the message, it was, it was on the book of Romans, at the end of the message, they were, it was a series of messages they were just doing in chapel on going through the book of Romans. So they're, they're in Romans like 12. And did my mic just go out? Oh, okay. And, and uh, so they're on Romans 12. And at the end, the professor gives an invitation. And he's, because he's talking about the renewing of our minds and the transformation. And, and he's talking about the need to unload stuff that, that, that would be a hindrance in God doing the work in their life. And so an invitation was given, like an altar call, like in many churches done. And, and people responded to that. And, and why was that so important? I, I, I went back and thought about this. What if at the end of the chapel service, the guy, if you can actually watch the chapel service on YouTube, and at the end of it, there was nothing spectacular about it or anything like that, but at the end, he gives an offer, opportunity for any students that are and alumni, you know, teachers to come forward, whatever, and answer the call to God in their life. Is there anything that you need God to take out of your life, you know, 
work out of your life, whatever, come. And I thought, what would have happened if everybody had sat, like in most churches in America on Sunday, and said, not me. That whole thing would have been missed. The whole thing would have been missed. Why? Why is that important? Because we cannot receive from God if we're carrying stuff that's hindering us to receive what God wants to give us. How many of you have had your hands full of bags and you've got one bag left in the car? Come on now. I know I'm not the only one who does this. <laughs> I did it twice this past week. And the second time I went, it didn't work at the first of the week. Why is it going to work at the end of the week? But I tried it anyway. And I re-gripped, you know, and kind of got my finger on one bag. And we got halfway to the house. And the bottom went out on that bag. And it started a chain reaction till this hand was empty. And everything was on the ground. And then I'm like, ah, I knew better. Right? I knew better, but I did it anyway. You know, it's kind of like when you ask kids, why'd you do it? I don't know. And, you know, it's like, why'd I do that? Because I knew better. There's only so much that you can carry. But if, if you're carrying a lot of stuff spiritually in your life, you're hindering what God wants to give. Okay? And it reminds me, again, of the prayer that I pray every week. Uh, from Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 2. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in, in our time. Make them known. And in wrath, remember mercy. The people of God in that day were saying, God, we stand in awe of you. Okay? They were saying, we have heard of your fame. And literally, it means we have heard the report of you. There was a report where they'd been told through the ages what God had done. And they were saying, do it again in our day that we might personally experience it. In other words, we don't want to hear about yesterday's yesterdays. We want to hear about, we want to experience today. And, and, and the, the Hebrew word there literally is revive them in our day. I thought it was interesting. I, look, I went and looked it up and it literally means re to revive. So he's saying, he's saying, repeat them, revive them in our day. In other words, they had died off. They, they've been with previous generations, but where is the God of yesterday? The God that is today. Why have we not, we don't see it today. Revive them in our day. That's what they, that's what they were saying. And he says, and make your ways known. He says, make your ways, make your power, make your abilities known in our day. And then that last part used to always throw me. It says, in wrath, remember mercy. And, and it means that even though they're praying this prayer, Lord, we've heard of your fame, we've heard of the reports, we know the miracles you've done in previous generations, revive them in our day, but in wrath, remember mercy. In other words, we... We probably don't have any right to ask you in light of where we are and where our nation is and how we've turned our back on you. And yet he says, remember. And, and the word remember there literally in Hebrew means call to mind. It's not like God has forgotten. They're just saying call to mind all the times that you've shown mercy to us in the past and show mercy once again.
Can you say that's a prominent prayer for our, the church today and our nation today and our world today? Well, the re revival is often like that because we often run ahead of God and try to bring revival or manufacture it or carry it to our churches, to our cities, and we think that somehow we can do this by ourselves. I don't know about Louisiana because, well, I mean, I do know about Louisiana. I've lived here since 83. But if you go a little bit further east into the Bible Belt, okay, I mean, like Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and you drive through those areas and you'll pass churches and they've got banners out front, spring revival, summer revival, fall revival, and they've got it planned, you know, they've got it all. It's like, and, and I'm I remember thinking, if you can plan revival, then it's not revival. All it is is a series of meetings, because trying to, like trying, if you, could, if you could plan a revival, it's like trying to wrap your arms around a tornado. I mean, because when God comes in a true revival, it's bigger than anything that you and I can handle. I mean, we, it, it, it sweeps us up, it takes a hold of us, right? And, and so we think that somehow our efforts and our gifts and our talents and our planning and our program and all that kind of stuff and, and can bring it about. And I can tell you, just like the little, my son, when he was picking up stuff that was too big for him, you know, you can, we can grunt and we can groan and we can shout and we can contort our faces, but nothing's going to happen. And, and to gain understanding about the principles here about a heaven-sent revival we need to look back at the mercy seat and into the Ark of the Covenant of God in the Old Testament because to the Israelites in the Old Testament, this mercy seat represented the presence of God. It, in those days, the Holy Spirit did not reside within each and every person as he does today since the day of Pentecost. It would come on certain people from time to time, but never in permanent fashion. And in John 14 and 17, Jesus is talking and says, he is the Holy Spirit. Talking about the Spirit of God that's going to come. He is the Holy Spirit who leads in all truth and the world at large cannot receive him because it isn't even looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But, say but, <laughs> but you do. See, he's saying the world can't even recognize him if they wanted to because they have no clue. They're not looking for him. They're, they have no clue about him. He says, but you do because he lives within you now and later will be in you. So he's, he's with you and he's going to be in you. So today the mercy seat should represent our desire for the glory of God to dwell among us as he did back in the days of David. And that mercy seat with the Ark of the Covenant was just a model of the things in heaven, a poor representation of that which was already in heaven. But God designed the mercy seat in a specific way. The Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, everything else was designed in a very, very specific way. But the main, main thing to me that stands out is the fact that it cannot be carried by one person. You see the rails on the side. And God gave instruction as to who could carry the Ark of the Covenant. And that how many it would take. And he designed it in such a way. In fact, one time they tried to move it back into the 
city. And guess what? They put it on an ox cart. Thinking that's smart. Let's load it up on an ox cart and let the ox pull it into town. And then they hit a place on the threshing floor. It was a little uneasy. And a man named Ozick reached out to steady the thing. And the minute he touched it, he dropped dead. Why? Because they were moving it improperly. They were using it, they were trying to move it according to their method, what they thought was easiest, what was best. But God designed it to be carried not by one or by a cart or anything like that. We sometimes think that if we can just get this minister to come or this prophet to come or this great teacher to come or this evangelist to come or if we could get some, you know, someplace, somehow, somewhere it, and, and, and all that is is us grunting and groaning and sweating and pulling and come on God, come on God. And what God wants to do, he wants to invade our cities. He wants, and you know where he wants to invade first is his church. And he wants to come in. But the problem is that we got too much stuff that's hindering him from coming in. Now I'm talking about in our lives because the church is not this building. The church is not staffed. The church is... Not any of those things. Yes, thank God for all of those things. God established it that we come together. But the church is us. We are the church. You are the church. And collectively, one person can get so on fire for God, but that won't bring revival in and of itself. It's like one person trying to pull a heavy load. Well, what happens is everybody empties themselves and comes before God with the same earnestness and same desire and says, God, whatever doesn't belong, get it out. I just want you and nothing more than you, Lord God. When that begins to happen, look what happened at Asbury. Some students came forward and they answered the call. And after they answered the call, they had a desire to keep on praying. And then all of a sudden word got out that there were students praying and, and, and more students started filing in. And next thing you know, there were several hundred. Next thing you know, there's a thousand. Next thing you know, there's 1,500. Next thing you know, they're going out the door. And for the next three weeks, they shut down almost a whole town. But it started with somebody who said, it can't happen unless I unload some stuff in my life. And they went to God. And unloaded. Nobody knew when he gave that altar call, when he gave that chapel service and gave the invitation, if you need to come spend a few minutes with the Lord. Nobody knew what was going to take place in the few minutes following that. The only way the Levite priest could carry the ark was to put down everything else that they had been crying about, worrying about, fearful about and then pick up the ark and here's the thing they had to walk together they had to walk together and my mind goes back to that disney movie that came out several years ago uh the mighty ducks anybody remember that the little kids hockey team yeah <laughs> and uh remember the coach puts a rope he can't get them to do what they're supposed to do. So he puts like this rope around them, ties them all together. And then he says, they're all on skates and the whole group, he says, now, now move this way. And they all fall down because every, everyone's going different direction. And, and, and they were frustrated because 
you know, he'd say, move right, and somebody would go left. And it just took one to be out of step, and the whole everybody would go down. And he, he says, we're not going to be able to do what we need to do as a team until we learn how to work it together, how to do it together, until finally they could all skate. When he'd say, go right, they'd go right. When he'd say, go left, go back, they could do it like that. It's, it's the same thing that when... The, the Levite priests had to walk in unity. I know, please don't get me wrong on this, but has anybody ever been a pallbearer at a funeral? And have you ever seen them direct them that how to take, you know, the casket out and, and take a step at a time and walk together? Have you ever seen when one person doesn't follow the orders? And, you know, I was brought up in a military home and when they'd say left, it didn't mean right. You know, and, and, you know, they go left, left. And then you see some kid do like, you know, left, 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 left. You couldn't, he couldn't, you know, they couldn't count, didn't have rhythm. I don't know, you know, but I mean, the thing is, it, it, it made the whole group look out of time because somebody's on the wrong beat or the wrong foot or whatever. And my point is simply this, that, that it took a certain number, number of art bearers and they had to walk in unity. And the key thing that I want you to see is that God always dwells in the middle of unity. Now, unity does not mean conformity or uniformity. In other words, it, it, it's like harmony of music. Harmony is different notes, but they blend. They look together. They, they work together. Um, I remember years ago, I was in a church that had like an 80-voice choir, and we had an older gentleman in the church. He's one of the founding guys in the church. His name was Brother John. He was just a wonderful fellow, but he only knew one note, and nobody had the heart to tell him that he couldn't sing. And we finally got a music director that came in, and the first practice we had, and I remember Brother John would be on the front row of, the, of this side, and he was like, he sounded like a cow that was bellowing out in the field. Uh, you know, and, 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 and our music director had an ear for music, and he's going, he'd say, everybody on this side, give me that note. Everybody over here, be quiet. And he finally narrowed it down. He'd walk over. Give me that note. And Brother John was like, hey. He's like. <clears throat> so he went to the pastor and he said, uh, um, <clears throat> the fella can't sing. <clears throat> he said, yeah, but you can't throw him out. He said, why? <clears throat> he said, well, he's one of the first like, founding group of the church. He loves God. <clears throat> and, and he'll do anything <clears throat> for the church. He said, he said, but he can't sing. And, and he said, what do I do? He said, don't put a mic in front of him. <laughs> and, and they did. So they moved him all the way down to the end on one side. And they, they put choir mics. He said, well, then I need choir mics. And immediately they brought in choir mics and dropped them down. And had mics along the front and everything. And the, the noise from the mics just cleared out the bellowing sound of Brother John. You know, you know why? You, and I thought, Pastor, my mentor, I said, why'd you just throw him off? He said, he said, he's not doing anything wrong. 
He just can't sing. And his heart is in unity with the church. Now, listen, I'm not saying you should be on the worship team even if you can't sing. <laughs> you know, an 80-voice choir, that's one thing. You know, you got three people up there, that's a different thing. <clears throat> I remember years ago, um, Pastor, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember, the folks from Toronto, they, um, they, asked, they asked his wife to sing, to sing on the worship team, and she says, I can't carry a tune. She knew it. I can't carry a tune. And he said, but you know how to worship. He said, I want people to see you worship. She said, but I can't sing. She said, I'm horrible. I'm tone deaf. And, and she says, if you put that mic in front of me, it's going to ruin everything. He said, I'm going to put a mic in front of you, but I'm not going to plug it in. <laughs> he said, I just want people to see you worship. I mean, she's singing. But when there's a thousand people singing and there's no mic plugged in, she'd be up there just worshiping God. Like he said, I want to see, see people who could see you worshiping in spirit and in truth and learn from you. They don't need to hear you to see you worship. You see what I'm saying? There's a time and a purpose for everything that's around us. And what I'm saying is carrying the ark was not the sort of job that brought fame and fortune to men who did it. In fact, I've looked through the whole Bible, and there's no record of the Ark Carriers Hall of Fame. There's not one there. We don't even know the names of most of the selfless individuals who served in that capacity. Yet without them, how many battles would have been lost? How would history have been altered if they were absent? Because the one thing that we know, looking back, and they knew, is that if the ark was carried and brought in, God was on the scene. And so this requires for us balanced priorities being essential in our lives. Okay, now, now we're getting, coming down to the personal aspect of our lives. Because our first response usually when somebody speaks like this about balanced priorities and they go, oh, that's not me. I've got too much going on, too many irons in the fire, too much. Listen, if your first response is I've got too much, you should stop right there. Because you, your arms are loaded and you're trying to grab one more bag. And you're trying to say, God bless me in the midst of all the stuff I'm carrying. Come on now. I mean, if I put the Ark of the Covenant here and said, who wants to grab one end of part of it? You'd put down everything you've got to get up there. Come on now. You'd be fighting somebody. That's my spot, man. I got here first. You would have dropped everything. But when we say we want revival, we expect someone else to carry it and someone else to bring it in so that we can reap the fruits of it. And, and I'm just saying that some of us tend to be consumed with the work of God and while actually neglecting our relationship with him. We get so busy doing the things of God that we literally sacrifice our walk with God. Listen, God's not interested in sacrifice except the sacrifice of praise and worship, genuine worship, 
But how can your heart be filled with genuine worship when your heart is filled carrying so much of this stuff? No one was more dedicated to the will of the Father than Jesus. And yet, even though the whole world was lost and dying and living in darkness, the Bible tells us frequently that Jesus came apart from the rep to rest. He came apart from the crowd. Matthew 14 and 23, it says, after he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Mark 6, 31 and 32 says, then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And they went by, away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Mark 6, 47. And when the evening was come, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. We need to follow the example of the Lord that he, he made priority the time away with just his father. It, it, listen, there, we, we've heard it several times over the last couple of weeks. That I think Pastor Josh preached it one Wednesday night. Our guest last week preached it. He, he said, it's not the bad things that get in our way. It's the good things that get in the way of God's best things. And we say we want God's best, but then when God says, I want you to let go of something, we're like, why can't? God wouldn't ask you to let go of something unless it was important. He has a reason for it. You can't take on what he has for you. He wants to give. Turn to your neighbor and go, God wants to give it to you. He wants to give it to you. It's not like you got to beg, borrow, plead, cry, whine, or anything else. It's just, God, I know you want to do this. Whatever is hindering, show me that I can throw it down, cast it aside, that I can be, have my arms open to receive from you. It's significant to me that the first administrative decision in the New Testament church was by the apostles, and there were widows that needed to be fed. They needed to be taken care of, and they didn't say, hey, we're, we're apostles. That's beneath us. No, they, they recognized it as a, a legitimate need, but they said, our priority is prayer and the word. You know, we need to be praying. We need to spend time with God. We need to, we need, because this was a brand new work that God was doing. And he, it's not like they had a manual to follow. They had the Old Testament, but now the Spirit of God has come. So they dictated or delegated that work to others, but they didn't do it just hap, hap, haphazardly. It says they prayed and then they appointed certain ones who would, who would begin to serve those widows and follow up on that. Listen, we can be sure that all of us same, face the same choice, and that's pressure or priorities. What do I mean by that? <laughs> There's always something that's going to be pressuring us when there's another need. And sometimes, hey, it just has to be, okay? But when it comes to God and relationship, you cannot allow the pressures of life to overrule that. 
you have to be bold enough and have the courage enough to say, this is where I draw the line. And the time to draw the line is not when the pressure comes. You, you have to know, you know, inside, you, you, does anybody have to tell you when you're hungry? No. I mean, you know, you got a little, little grumbling down there, a little hungry, but it's not what it, There comes a point where you go, I got to stop. I need to eat. I need to sit down. I need some sleep. I need whatever. And, and, and you know what? The Bible says the poor you will have with you always. And I've, I kind of amplified that years ago. And, and my pastor was speaking to me. And I said, but we got this and we got this. We got this. We got this. He said, and every need that you meet, there'll be 10 more right behind them. With just as great a need. They said, you have to take care of yourself. And um, so we have to learn to, if we want to experience God in our lives, revive, revival, we have to learn to prioritize. And then once we do, we have to learn to unload. See, it's one thing to say, I recognize that God needs to be the priority in my life. But it's a whole nother thing to let go. It's a whole nother thing to unload. I don't know if you've ever been in somebody's house where, I'm just going to put it this way nicely, they hold on to everything. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? I have a sister, a younger sister, that she actually helps people do estate sales and stuff like that. But in her early years, she would, would be helping them prioritize what they needed and what was funny was that so many of the people needed everything that they had. Yet they couldn't find 90% of what they had. And literally some of them, their, their stuff swallowed up their living quarters. We call them hoarders. But they're simply people who have failed to prioritize and have failed to learn how to let go. And many things in life will come along to deter us from the goal or the process or the progress that God has in our lives. Hebrews 13 and 8. This is the very first verse in the Bible I ever read. When I, when I heard that God was real, I took our family Bible, went to my room, kicked my two brothers out of the room, locked the door, and opened that family Bible for the first time. And I flipped it open, and there it was, Hebrews 13 and 8. Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. I closed that Bible, man. I had goosebumps running all over me. I was like, whoa. Because the lady had just walked out of my house and said, Jesus can heal you. And it changed my life. And once I heard those words, it marked a path. I don't know what I got to do to get there, but I want Jesus. I want to know this Jesus. See, Jesus' prescription for health and good times and hard times hasn't changed. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 30 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Say, I will. I will. God says, I will give you what? Rest. rest. 
Then it goes on and says, what does it say? It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The, the label on God's prescription bottle for rest and prioritizing and unloading has not changed. It's the same. Notice a couple of things. He says, take my yoke. Okay. Now, I know that most people, I've, I've heard preachers preach this, that the yoke is like a ox, you know, oxen yoke or, or like a yoke you would put on a couple horses or whatever. That's not what it, that's not what it is. It, it, in first century Judaism, it, it referred to a disciple being willing to s- submit and, and adhere to the teachings of the rabbi and the application of the Old Testament scriptures. And, and so to take on the yoke of Christ required laying down their problems and agendas and worries. Remember, some came after Jesus when he first started his ministry and they said, Lord, where, where are you staying? And he says, the foxes have their holes and birds have their, he says, but the son of man doesn't have a place to even lay his head. So they're like, well, man, you gotta have a house. But they didn't stop following him. They went to find out where he was staying. And it required leaving comfort behind. It required leaving our comfort zone that we want to stay in and have God move in there. And imagine then saying God's moving in here and God's over here. But we're going to go, but I'm going to stay here till it comes over here. No, we, we, need to, we need to break down the wall or whatever that's hindering us and get over there. To take the yoke of Christ requires laying down our agendas and our worries and our problems. And then he goes on, he says, learn his ways. His ways are above our ways. His ways are different than our ways. Remember the prayer in Habakkuk that we read earlier? It was about God working in them. In their midst, he said, we've heard what you've done before. We, we've got the report. We've got the record. Do it again in our time. That's what they were praying for. It's God's ways. And there's a specific way to do that. And then he goes on, he says, and learn of me. And learning something does, is not overnight. How many of you tried to learn a foreign language? How many of you got it overnight? I'm not talking about speaking in tongues. <laughs> and even then, a lot of you didn't get that right away. I mean, right? I mean, you know, it, it, I remember the first time I took a French class in, in third grade, and I was like, Como who? You know, what? Tally who? Tally who? Tally ho? Tally, you know, I mean, right? I mean, you don't learn it overnight. I don't care what they say on, on, on the commercials. You can pull up that app. You're not going to be fluent in any language in, t- in 48 hours. The only way you're going to be fluent is if I could say it in English, push the button, and the phone speaks for me, right? Right? And even then, it's not going to guarantee it's going to be perfect. We, we cannot, it requires effort on our part, learning from God. So if, if, if we're loaded down and, and, and all our time is accounted for all this stuff, how are we going to learn from God? How are we going to learn of God? How are we going to learn his ways? We have to put something down. We can't say, I tried that for a while, it didn't work, or I don't have the time. In fact, that's the, that's the number one excuse for almost anything is I don't have the time. And, and I remember years ago, my mentor chewed me out when I used that word. I just opened a 
business and I was working open to close seven days a week. So I was in my restaurant at seven in the morning. I didn't leave till one and two in the morning. And then I was back again. And I did that for over a year and a half because I thought if I can spend open to close for a year and a half, get people trained, get people lined up, then I can have free time. You know what I found out? is that I kept turning over employees and I was constantly having to retrain people. And in that year and a half, I'd never once stepped inside church. And my mentor kept coming to my restaurant three or four times a week. He'd say, send zucchini out here. <clears throat> and uh, he's sitting in his car. He said, tell him to bring my food out here. I owned a drive-in restaurant. And... Uh, so uh, I'd go out there and he said, get in. And he'd sit me down and he'd chew my ear, boy. I mean, he'd talk to me about the Lord. Sometimes he'd chew my ear. He said, boy, need to get things right. Get it in order. I said, I'm working on it. He goes, you've been working a year and a half. When are you going to get in church? And I'm like, when it gets there, he said, what's it going to take to get there? I said, I don't know. He said, I do. It's going to be you deciding I need to be in church. And so I remember the first time I, I went to, to, for the morning, make sure all the prep was going. I told everybody, I said, look, I'll be back in an hour or so. If an emergency comes, we didn't have cell phones or anything like that back in those days. I said, I should be back in a little over an hour and right down the road, I'll be back. So I, I remember I slipped in on the back row for church and, and I thought pastor wouldn't see me. He saw me. And everybody on the back row knew I was there because I smelled like onion rings and <laughs> burgers and everything else. And, and it got to be where I'd, I'd slip in on the back row and, and people would go, hey, Zanini, how you doing? Good, man, just don't turn around. Pastor, see me coming in late. <laughs> I had to prioritize some things. My business couldn't be first. Jesus had to come first. And I'm telling you, it was hard. It was a hard choice. It was a hard decision. I had business partners that I had to answer to, and I had to remind them the contract was they were silent partners. Because <laughs> they wanted to confront me about my time away. And I'm, look, nobody's put in more time than me. I got more on the line than anybody else, and you're a silent partner, so be silent. It, it took pressure or priority. I had to make priorities. The management of our time. Look, we all have the same 1,440 minutes a day. Don't say you don't have time. How long you spend on your phone doing this? Come on now. And I'm not talking about when you're driving. You shouldn't even be doing that. But... I mean, people are addicted. I went out here the other day, and some of the young people sitting there, I said, what are we looking at? They said, I don't know yet. <laughs> they, they just do it like this, you know. And I'm like, I heard the other day that the average young person spells, spends over six hours a day looking at their phone. Six hours. I said, I know some adults that give them a run for their money. They can't. And you know how I know? Because I can send them a message. 
And, and, and I mean, before I put my phone in my pocket, ding, I look and they've already responded. I'm thinking, how on earth? Now, some of you are going to go, I ain't going to answer him right away anymore. <laughs> but really, it's the management of our time that makes the difference. I'm going to close with this. I want to read this to you. In Matthew 11:28 28 and 29, this is out of the paraphrase of the message, okay? And here's what it says. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. There's some things that we must learn to set aside for later. And there's just some things that should be unloaded altogether. I remember when I went in business, I had a guy who was well known around the country for leadership teaching and stuff. And he said, you make your to-do list over here for this day. And whatever you don't get done here, you take over and put at the top of the list on this day. And I was dumb enough to believe that for about three days. Because I found out that most of the stuff on this part of the list didn't need my attention. Because there was always more bigger things that would happen that needed to be at the top of the list over here. But I was committed for like three days. Take whatever they can get finished, put over here. You know, then what was happening? I was spending my time on inconsequential things or very small things when the, the big things needed to be addressed. And then you wouldn't get to them, so they get pushed off to the next day. I said, this isn't right. This doesn't make any sense. I said, Lord, I need a better way. And God said, there are just some things you need to let go. And other things you need to prioritize. And, 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 and that this, is, this thought I want to leave with you is, is that we can choose to be content to hear about what God has done. Or we can choose to do whatever we must do to see God move in our day. I can't make that choice for you. You can't make that choice for me. But I want to be like that professor said. I don't, I, I don't mind being surprised, but I don't want to be unprepared. In other words, I've unloaded everything that needs to be unloaded. I've let go of whatever is inconsequential that's not going to change anything. I, I, I was told years ago, I heard a, a great a, a major speaker speak at a national convention. And he said, Pastor, I want to help you because so many of you think that the world can't get along without you. You think your church will fall apart without you. He said, well, let me put it in perspective for you. And here's what he said. He said, if you drop dead tomorrow, in two or three days, they're going to dig a hole in the ground, put you down six feet, and throw dirt in your face, and go back to the church and eat potato salad, and talk about what a great guy he was. I thought, that is so crude. And then I thought later, 
is so true. You know, he's saying, if you think the world can't survive without you, one day it will. Unless Jesus comes, right? And so, what matters most? I remember back in my day, there was a song called Cats in the Cradle. And, and man, that song, first time I heard it is, as teen, man, I cried. Because it talked about a son wanting time with his dad, wanting to, time with his dad, wanting time with his dad. And his dad would say, later, son. I don't know when. He said, well, later. And he'd say, when? He goes, I don't know when. And then he talked about by the time his son became an adult, by that time the dad was wanting to spend time with him. And his son had the same attitude that he had. He said, sorry, dad, I'm too busy. I, I don't know when I'm going to find the time, but, but we'll do it one day. And, and he talked about the fact that that time was gone. That's the thing about time. When you're young, you think you have all the time in the world. Yet the Bible doesn't guarantee any of us a tomorrow. It doesn't even guarantee us that this afternoon. So we think we have all the time in the world, but you know what? As we get older, you know what the most, most, most precious commodity is? Time. Because once it's gone, it's gone. So we have to prioritize. But the fact is that one day, every one of us will stand before God. I gave you my loving grace and mercy and saved your life. How did you spend your time about the things that I called you to do? See, God has called every one of us. God has a divine DNA put inside you from the moment you're created. Whether, whether or not you fulfill it is, is up to you. Because God is ready to do what he wants to do load ourselves up we can carry our stuff around
trying to balance that's keeping you from receiving the things that God wants for you in your life? Are you ready to determine what things need to stay and what things need to be let go of? What is the enemy
wisdom how to prioritize the time that we have put the most important things first and God there's nothing that supersedes our relationship with you Father I pray if there's anyone here today and their, their, their relationship with you is not proper it's not in order God that they would right now say Jesus forgive me I surrender my life to you that God you would have
we want is you. So move like only you can do. So move is all we want is you. So move like only you can do. So move is all we want is you.
when I'm with you, Lord, it always leaves me wanting more. Here's our praise, you can dwell within. Come again, let the glory end. Let the glory end. I'm open. I'm open. I'm open. I'm open. It's not a building you want to feel. It's my heart. It's empty space. What you want it all alone? It's not a building you want to fill. It's my heart. This empty space is what you want it all alone. Come again with the glory. Empty space is what you wanted all along. 